Okay, we're going to begin our recording now. And we are now here for the second class of the Torah of Torah. And I'm so grateful as I'm like continuing to prepare for this. I'm so grateful that we're going chapter by chapter. Hi, Tammy. It looks like you made it on. Because there, if we were just doing it like we used to do, um, oh. <laughs> I just muted you. Um, if we were doing like what we used to do with just going through the full, you know, the full book, forget about it. Like there, there is so much. It's unbelievable that when we read Parsha Breshit, and we're, which we're coming to, we're just about to finish up the whole book and start again. It's unbelievable that we start this book and we just kind of zip through this whole beginning section, which Breshit we know means beginning. We zip through it so fast and we are missing so many pieces. So it's an amazing, amazing thing that we can go through together now chapter by chapter. So we went through last week, we just went through the basic of creation. We went through the different things that were created and on what day things were created. And we discussed how at the end of each day, God would say, and it was very good. He was taking pleasure in his work. And we discussed how when God creates man, he uses the word we, let's, let's create man. And how we are equal partners in the creation of man itself. And perhaps most importantly, what we noted is that in the entire first chapter, the only name of God that is used is Elohim, which we noted Elohim is the name of God that always represents strict justice, that when God created the world, he did it with Elohim. He did it with Din. In Hebrew, the word is Din, right? Yom Kippur is a Yom or Rosh Hashanah is the Yom Hadin, it's the day of judgment. And when God created the world, it, he did so with judgment. And now in the second chapter, we see a new name of God brought in over here. And that is the Shem Havaya, that is the Yod and the Hey and the Vav and the Hey, which is pronounced as Ado and then Nai, and that is the, the God of compassion. Now, it's not two different gods that we definitely know, but it's the, that the compassion then enters the world, right? With, this, with the creation of mankind, mankind kind of brings the, the compassionate God to the world, and that is the constant, um, the world is constantly working between those two hands of God, right? The God of, of um, the God who uses just, ju justice and judgment, and it's much harsher, and the God who uses the compassion. And so we are constantly bringing, as humans, we're constantly begging for God's compassion, and um, that was a very, very important piece. And then, the world is created and God takes a step back and his work was done. And then God created rest. Okay. We're going to get into this a little bit today, but God didn't need to rest. Okay. It wasn't like, whew, that was hard work. You know, now I need to rest. It was more that God needed to put into the world the energy for rest. He created it for us. What he was doing for us was he was role modeling for us that what? That we need, at some point, we need to stop creating. We need to stop manipulating. We need to have a day that we just focus on 
being and not doing. I think there's, um, there's a, a, a certain rabbi that I once heard say, we are not human doings, we are human beings, right? Shabbat kind of brings that out, that it's that day where we can just be and we create with, we, 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 um, we bond on this day with the Almighty. So God actually, what it says, and like I said last week, these words that are in the Torah are words that we recite every Friday night in the Kiddush, okay? You ever wonder, like, what are we saying when we say those words, you know? We are actually going back to the actual text in the beginning of chapter days of, of chapter two, where God creates rest. And the word that it says is vayishpot, okay? Vayishpot bayom hashvi, and he abstained on the seventh day. That word vayishpot is from the root word Shabbat, right? Shabbat comes from that. And God blessed that, that day, and um, he sanctified it. And this is very much a day that we are going to focus on a little bit towards the end of class, but we have to understand that this day has extra blessing in it. It is not a, a regular day of the week. Um, in fact, if you, when we get much more ahead in the story, when we talk about the Jews who were wandering in the desert and the manna started to fall. So we all know that double portion manna fell on Friday, fell for Shabbat, right? Why was that? That was because this day is blessed. It has extra blessing, okay? Then we continue on. Again, we do, we're going to do the summary first, and then we'll go back and pull out all the lessons, okay? The text continues on, and it says like this, there was not vegetation that had come yet up on the ground because there was no human being. So this, just to point out very quickly, this is a very, very interesting point because we already learned that there were grass and there were flowers and there was somewhat of vegetation but what Rashi, the great commentator Rashi, points out over here, and this is a tremendous, tremendous lesson, is that there was no need, there was no rain. And so essentially, even though it was created, it couldn't continue to grow. It was going to die until mankind came into the world and then began to pray for it and realized, wait a second, if I don't ask for God to water this grass, it's going to die. So there's the message here is that number one is that sometimes God does something to us in order so that we can pray. Okay. He wanted to hear from mankind to say, wait a second, God, can you put down some dew? Can you put down some rain? Can you moisten up this, this dry land? Because otherwise it's not going to have vegetation. And of course we see that as soon as man prayed for it, God delivered, right? There was, and then it came into, be, it came into being all the beautiful grass and all the beautiful flowers and everything else. But the reason, if you're reading through the English translation and you're like, wait a second, um, you know, it says, now any tree of the field was not yet on earth and any herb in the field had not yet grown. You'll be like, wait a second, he already created it. So although it was created, it was waiting for man's prayers. And I think the other lesson tremendously, tremendously here 
is the lesson of gratitude, right? Because the, the, you know, Adam needed to express that gratitude towards God in order to create that connection, in order to create that relationship with the Almighty, so that it would then continue. So, you know, we've mentioned this many, many times in this class, just the theme of the importance of gratitude. You know, this time of year, we, we're standing, we're praying, it's so intense, all these things, we're asking for so many things. We have to also remember to just stop for a few moments and just have gratitude, right? To acknowledge all of the tremendous gifts that God has already given to us. And when Adam recognized that, you know, it needed to be acknowledged and expressed and then, you know, thanked for it, thank you for giving this to me and can we please have rain? Um, that was the magical words that then allowed the rain to come down. So it's an amazing, amazing thing. Um, and just going back to the other idea that sometimes God withholds something from us in order to bring about the prayer. And this is a theme that you will see tremendously all throughout the book of Breshit, the first entire book. Um, many times you'll see it throughout the Torah that God will hold something back in order so that he will develop a deeper connection and a deeper relationship with those people. So you see it very strongly with the matriarchs. None of them, right, became pregnant right away. They were all barren. And the reason for that was that it was setting up a certain connection that they needed to create with God in order to be, to become the matriarchs, they needed to have that very, very strong connection. And in order to get to that level of connection, they needed to beg, they needed to make that relationship. And so the lesson here is that if we would always see all of the things that are lacking in our life as just a means to become closer to the Almighty, we would be living our life through a very different lens. You know, one of the blessings that we say after we, um, after we eat something, we say, um, we thank God for all that he's giving and also for the lacking. And so this is a very powerful point that we're saying as after we always are eating something and thanking God and expressing that thank, we say, also thank you for all the lacking that you've given me in my life because through that lacking, I can reach out to you, I can connect with you and I can build a deeper relationship with you. So I guess the most important thing, you know, from, from this piece is that I just want to really reiterate this point that if we look at everything in our life and sometimes we, we just think of all the lacking in our life and we tend to like bemoan the fact, right? But if we would take a moment and instead of just bemoaning it, we would look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity for asking, an opportunity for relationship, it would get us much further in, in life and surely in the relationship. Okay, hold on one second. I just have to send somebody this link one second. This is why I have to have at my phone. Okay. So now something very interesting happens because man was already created and now the Torah goes back and is going to fill in some of those details. Okay. So now the rain comes down and all the vegetation comes up and now comes and God formed the man 
of soil from the earth and blew into his nostrils. Here it is. Nishmat Chayim. These are the most powerful words. Okay, so now it's going back to the creation of man and it's filling in what exactly happened, right? When God just created this, this man, what happened? So it says, God formed the man from the, from the dust of the earth, from the soil of the earth, and he blew into his nostrils the soul of life. And man became a living soul. Okay? So this is what we know when we, when we think about what mankind is. We talk about how man is not just mere flesh and bones, uh, but man has something inside of it called a nishama, a soul. And that soul comes from the breath of God itself. It's the most beautiful thing, the soul. It's something that is untainted. It is impure. A person can be completely messed up, but their soul is still completely pure. Their soul is still intact. Their soul is, is there just waiting for the opportunity to just jump right out and reconnect. Okay. So the soul that God blew into us is that divine. In addition to that, it also is what separates us from animals. And that is that what did God give us? He gave us the ability to have speech, right? God formed man, blew into it, and we became a living being. And suddenly we now have the power of speech. And this is what showed that we had a conscience. This is what showed that we had moral thought. We have moral choice. This is really what gives man freedom of choice. And this is what dif makes us different than animals. And we have, we have this gift of words and we need to be able to express ourselves properly and to utilize this gift of words. We are not just more evolved animals. This is an important, you know, differentiation. We're not just more evolved animals. We have free will. And we have this tremendous connection with the Almighty. Then God takes this fully formed man that he just blew his own breath into, takes this man and plants him into the Garden of Eden. Gan Eden. Again, just for those who were not on the call last week, it's very important to remember that all of the details that go on in these, especially in this specific Torah portion, is not to be taken literally. There are tons and tons and tons of interpretations and commentaries, and that's not the purpose of this class, but don't take anything at face value, okay? The one thing I do want to point out is that why wasn't man just created in that Garden of Eden from the beginning? Why wouldn't man just, why wouldn't God just create man in that Garden of Eden? And so a very big theme that comes up around this idea is that sometimes man doesn't know what he has until he's missing it. So if man wouldn't have been placed, would have been placed straight into the Garden of Eden, perhaps he would have just taken it for granted. But therefore, he didn't start off in the Garden of Eden. God placed him into the Garden of Eden. And this is a theme that many times we see throughout our personal lives as well. How many times, if it's just given to us, think about it from the eyes of a child, and then try to step into it in, in your own terms, right? If, if it's just given to them, it's taken for granted. 
when they don't have it and they have to work a little bit towards it, or they saw the other side and then joined in, so then already it's a different story. So for some reason, ladies, correct me if, if, I'm, if you think I'm wrong, for some reason when we talk about it in terms of a child, it makes a lot of sense, right? My child is not gonna understand um, you know, that, that money doesn't grow on trees unless they work for it, right? Or fill in the blank in whatever situation. But then suddenly in our own lives, we are placed in a certain circumstance or a certain situation. And we are like, wait a second, but it's supposed to be X, Y, and Z. So I'm gonna pause for a second. I'm gonna let that idea just like fit, you know, just settle a little bit. And then I wanna hear if anyone has any thoughts on that. It's a very, 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 very important thing to think about. And how many times we go throughout our life and we just assume, we just see certain things, we take certain things from grant, for granted, right? Even right now, what we're going through with this coronavirus and this pandemic and how each one of us in our own way could write our own book about the challenges and the great things that have come along with it, both, right, in the same, in the same hand, we have a little bit of both, but recognize that the only reason it feels like, wait a second, this is very out of sort, is because it was, it was never like this before. Yeah, Natalie, go ahead. Natalie, you're muted. Can you unmute? I feel like it's a constant struggle. Like we're grown ups, so we get it, but yet, we all tend to do it, even though of course. it's not it, it's not the righteous thing or the right thing. And then the crazy thing is, while we're not perfect ourselves, we're trying to teach our kids that correct mindset. So it's it's a challenge. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. This is a challenge. This is something that we struggle with on a daily basis, you know? But this class is supposed to get us to think about those themes, to think about the challenges, right? And also, yes, to recognize we can present it to our kids, but am I failing in my own way, right? So then we have to maybe work on stepping it up a little bit. Um, it's absolutely a tremendous, tremendous challenge. And also it's not always so black and white. Right? So, you know, each one has to think about in their own life what this has to do. But the idea is that God placed them into the Garden of Eden. And in this Garden of Eden, there's the tree of life, the tree of knowledge. I want to read it to you exactly from the, from the book, from the book itself, because I want you to hear the way these trees are referred to. Um, and Hashem, God, caused to grow from the ground every tree that was pleasing to the sight and good for food. Also the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and bad. So there's the, there's the, there's the tree of life. And then there's this other tree, which I think sometimes we forget has this longer name. It's called the Eitz Hadas Tov Vara, the tree of knowledge of good and bad. Okay, so we got the tree of life, we got the tree of knowledge, but it's not just the tree of knowledge. It's the tree of knowledge of good and bad, okay? And then a very interesting digression comes in the middle, right over here. We're in the middle of talking about this blissful place, this Garden of Eden. Again, not to be taken at 
full literal value. And then we're told about a river, right? There's like these rivers that we're told about. Um, these different four rivers that go all different places and it names what these rivers are and it goes into detail about telling us about what these rivers are. And, you know, on a much deeper level, there's obviously some kind of crazy spiritual stuff that these rivers represent. But on a much more simple level, I want to discuss the concept of what the rivers represent. And that is the beautiful concept of water being used as a healer. Okay, and that would bring us to the concept of mikvah. Okay, because here what we're essentially seeing is the concept that God always creates a remedy before the illness. In Hebrew, we say, Hikdim Rafua Limaka. It is a beautiful idea. Hi, Heidi. That anything, anything that God has put into the world, hold on, someone's not muted, guys. Someone's not muted. And I don't see you on my camera because there's a lot of people not on the cameras. Um, anything that God has created in the world, whether it be good or bad, right? He has it, he knows what it's there for. So the idea for this is that when something difficult happens, right? There's a certain, here it's used as maka, a plague, okay? But it's any type of hardship. Hashem, the Almighty, always has already created an antidote to what that problem is. So here we're gonna see mankind is gonna sin. They're gonna sin really, really fast. <laughs> They're gonna blow it really fast, okay? And God already had the mikvah water set up for their healing and for their cleansing. And so this is the concept, you know, as we get to Yom Kippur, I definitely just want to mention this. This is the concept of just anytime anybody makes a mistake, there is always, I mean, man, if, if these chapters are not screaming it out to us, then I don't know what it is, right? We have the concept of Bez Rashis, right? Bereshit, the first word of the Torah, two beginnings, always start afresh, always start anew. We have the concept of God blowing a soul into mankind and giving us constantly the gift of connection, the wiring that always will remain untainted and will always be able to just like that, connect to God. It's always plugged in, right? Our soul is, that is the connection. And now we see it here again, where God has put into the Torah, wait a second, before we're going to say what happened and how mankind messed up, I want you to know there's going to be these rivers. And essentially what the tremendous lesson here is, is that you always have a chance to dunk and to start fresh. The idea of water, you know, the idea of water is always that idea of a rebirth, rejuvenation. And so even though mankind messes up, it's already embedded in the system for us to be able to cleanse. And it doesn't necessarily mean, ladies, uh-oh, go and immerse in the mikvah physically, you know. But the idea here is the idea of cleansing is already put into the procedure of the world before mankind sins, there already is imbued the idea of, I have it, I have a way for you to cleanse, right? Okay, so that's a very, very beautiful idea. Um, they can get back to a place where they were pure and innocent, even though they did sin. So now God tells them, this is unbelievable. It's really unbelievable. God tells them, 
there are all these beautiful trees. Now, why am I referring to them? Why am I referring to them? We don't yet have a them, okay? We have a Adam, which Adam is just the creation of mankind. We're gonna get to it in a second, but it really is at them. Hold on one second. I just wanna to read to you here. Um, okay, so now God took, I'm reading to you from inside now. God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to guard it. And God commanded the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and bad, you must not eat. For on the day you eat from it, you will die. Now comes another very, very famous line in the Torah. And here we, God says to mankind, Vayomer Hashem Elohim. And God said, both names of God used here, it's not good that the man should be alone. I am going to make him I am going to make him a helper. So first of all, what I want to introduce to you here is that right before this had happened, the Medrash tells us that God took Adam and said, Adam, I have all these animals of this kingdom that I have made. They do not have names. They all need to be named. And guess who gave all the animals of the kingdom their names? Adam. Because we're told that he was able to see the essence of the animals. You know, the he we always talk about this, but the Hebrew language is a language like no other, right? Not only does every word have extreme value and understanding, but each letter has an intense deepness to it. And certainly when Adam made these animals, he had a very, very deep understanding and a connection with the animals that he was able to see what their essence was. The names that we use today are actually the names that Adam, according to the Medrash, uh, are the names that Adam gave to these animals. So just the, the one classic example that's given is that a dog he named Kelev, right? Which either it's, it's Kelev, like a heart, okay? Or you can say, Kalev, he's all hearts, right? That the dog has a certain way of connecting to people, to humans. It's all heart. There's that, and how many of us know, right? That, that the dog's really that connection that a dog has. So Adam was able to look at the animals and give them their names. And suddenly, Adam is looking around and he notices something very specific that me and you would notice as well. And he says, wait a second, every single animal here has a mate. What's up with me? Why am I alone? Okay. You see, man was created as an androgynous being. And then God said, God replied, oh, you know what? You're right. It's not good for man to be alone. I need to create a separate being. Azer Kinecto, someone that will, um, the way that it's translated here is I will make it a, I will make it a helper against him. I need to create something else. The initial idea was to create an equal, right? An equal partner for you, for man, for man to have. And 
God then puts Adam into a very, very deep sleep. And the classic line that's always said is this was the first surgery, you know, with the first, the first surgery that God needed to perform. And he puts Adam into this very deep sleep. And he is going to create now a woman. Okay. Now what's often told is that he, woman is created from his rib. The word sela inside, the, the, the text says, and God formed out min ha'adama from the ground. Chayas hasade. Sorry, I'm not going to read this all in, in, um, in, in, in Hebrew. I'm going to read it in English. God cast a deep sleep upon the man and he slept. And he took one side, achat mitzalotav. He took one side and he closed flesh in its place. So Stella is also known as a rib. So people think that like he opened up the rib. Really, I think from the way that I understand it is if you have this androgynous human being, you know, now he's going to go down the side. He's going to create now, um, let's say, split this being, right, from, let's say, the way I envision, from front to back, again, not to be taken literally, and then Chava is going to be born, literally coming from that androgynous being, and Chava is going to enter this world, and God is going to show this woman to Adam. Okay, a beautiful Midrash also, is that right before God showed Adam his, his wife, Chava, um, it says that God braided her hair. So I don't know how many of you heard this idea. If you've ever baked challah with me, maybe you have, maybe you have not. But the idea is that God made her look beautiful for Adam and braided her hair. And one of the reasons, there's many reasons that we braid challah, but one of the beautiful reasons to the braiding of the challah is to remind us of the way that God had introduced Chava to her husband with her hair braided, okay? So in order to remember that, we braid, we put our braids into the challah. It's a beautiful medrash. Now, Chava comes, and God is going to introduce Chava to Adam, and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And they were one, okay? What was this? What was going on when Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? So this is the idea when we talk about a soulmate. This is what we're talking about, that in the original state of creation of man, it was one. It was one, one being, okay? And then God had to separate them because Lotov, Hayot Adam Levado, wasn't good that man should be alone, created this other part. And then Adam felt it so strongly, bone of my bone, you are part of me, right? Flesh of my flesh. Now, some people, when they find their soulmate, will actually tell you that they can relate to this, that they really, really feel like, oh, I just, I knew you, you were part of me, you know, I, there's just this connection, I can't explain it, right? Maybe you know what I'm talking about, maybe you don't. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry. It doesn't mean that you're not married to the right person. But the idea is that when we talk about a soulmate, the reason it's called a soulmate is because it's trying, when, when a husband and a wife get married, the idea is bringing them back to that initial state of together. Came from one soul, they are now united as one soul. When a husband and a wife get married, they become one soul. 
right? This is a class I could get for the entire year just on what does it mean? What does it mean that we're a soulmate? What is our role as a soulmate, right? But the idea that we have one soul, that soul is very much connected. Our souls are together. And then it goes on to say, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one entity. They should become one sexually, physically. They should become one emotionally. They should become one mentally, right? We become one. The more that we can create that bonds with our spouse, the more oneness we create. Okay. I'm going to just finish up this chapter and then we're going to jump back into some themes over here. So then now we have the creation of man and Then the, the whole chapter ends off like this. It says, And they were both naked. Both man and his wife. This is the most important line in this sentence. And they were not ashamed. So why does the Torah have to explain to us that man and, man and his wife were naked and they were not ashamed? What was this about? Does anybody know? I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking, so now I'm just, I'm just throwing out a question just to open it up. <laughs> so why? Why does it have to comment to us that they were naked and they were not ashamed? Creation. Procreation. Well, not just... Okay. Okay, so John, John, I think that was you. Procreation. We're going to get there in a second, but no, nothing having to do with that. I, I think, well, I mean, this is prior to the tree of knowledge. They have not, they have whether it's good and bad. So if they don't know what's good and bad... There's no need for shame. Okay. And because shame is, is something that we have put upon ourselves. It's not something that um, is something that, that really, you know, it's, some, it's a construct because there's some places where nakedness is not shameful and there are some places that it is more shameful and, and really varies within a culture. Therefore, it's not something that would be innately granted to us by God. Because that's the natural form. What did God was going to make a wardrobe? You okay. Know? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. So again, this was before any sin entered the world. This is the world in a state of perfection. And because the whole world was in a state of perfection, there was no reason for them to have any shame Shame is, a, I like the word shame, um, embarrassment, busha, it's called in Hebrew, right? There was no need for anything like that. They were like innocent children, right? You ever have like a kid, oh, this was a good one, you know, my kid comes out like in the middle of my Shabbat meals, like with a whole box of tampons, you know, like, what are these, you know, like, thank you, let's just throw them all over the whole room, or like, please, yeah, come out with my pants stuck all over your body as a, as a, as a, costume no problem you know so kids have they just have no clue like innocent children you know they have no clue that what they've done is even something that should be somewhat quote-unquote shameful right like innocent children so the idea here was that because there was really no sin that entered the world there was nothing for them to be embarrassed about once sin entered the world suddenly then their nakedness, there were, like, hi, I like what you said, like, there are times for nakedness, and there are times for not, but yes, exactly, right, there are times that nakedness is not supposed to be a shameful thing, but there are times where suddenly they were like, oh my gosh, like, I need to be covered up, and they felt that way after the sin, which we're going to get into more next week, um, okay, 
So here, I just want to get into, yeah, go ahead, Debbie. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Also, um, you know, maybe Hashem at that point was proud of the form he created. So the animals don't have a wardrobe. So it was like, you know, there was beauty in it. So of course there was no shame. Absolutely. But all of that was before the sin, meaning in the ideal state of the world, mankind actually would have probably walked around naked the same way that you know, animals would walk out naked. There is a certain beauty in mankind, certainly, right? But once sin entered the world, it became something that was like, wait a second, this is not something that is just supposed to be fully exposed. This is something that there are times that I'm going to feel shameful if I am, right? So absolutely, there was that. That's why we were originally created, like, like some, like, you know, God didn't make us with clothing. We were created naked but they were not cognizant of that. It wasn't a thing until after the sin entered, which is absolutely fascinating. Can I, have, can I ask a question though? Sure. Because, you know, last year when I, was it last year with Shlomo and you had, were talking about the tree, you know, the tree and how, why God put it right in the middle of the garden. Like, duh, you know, because both trees are two trees, right? Yeah, two trees. But, which is interesting because later they don't talk about both trees. They talk about the one, right? Yeah. Um, and the serpent right. says, the one tree, even though the tree of life is there too. Yeah, exactly. But that's a, an, another thing. But if God put that tree in there anyway, there was no way he didn't intend. This is what Kilomo was talking about last year. It's like, there's got to be a time that he planned for, for mankind to taste that tree. Because why okay. would he have made it? Okay, are you asking it or are you answering it? Because we're going to get to that. Like, it's kind of both. Like, I mean, I guess that's part of the next section. But it I always is. Find it's going to really tap into the next chapter and I will address it. I will address it. And we're going to actually understand the whole role of the whole sin in general. We're going to try to understand that a little bit better. Lauren, do you have a question? Okay. Um, but yes, thank you for noting the fact that, I mean, it was created there. It was kind of in the middle, right? This was God's plan. What's up with that plan? Was he just setting us up for failure? Is that, that kind of the rhetorical question? Like, uh, what was the purpose of that tree, right? So we're going to get there a little bit next week when we actually see the actual sin. But thus far, we don't even know of such a sin. We don't even know. Okay. So I want to just talk about a few different things here. Um, let's go in order of how they kind of presented themselves in the parak. okay? Number one is let's just talk about the power of Shabbat a little bit more because this is where it's brought. This is where we talk about it. We refer to it again in the Torah when we start getting into the construction of the tabernacle. Um, certainly there are details about, the, about Shabbat, but where it's actually referenced is here, okay? The six days of we, a week, we are what we would call in male mode, okay? We are in the male mode of the world. We are in the mode of fixing. We are in the mode of creating. We are in the mode of change and activating. Now, what I might be doing right now is really trying to give an entire class on feminism in two lines. So I might not be doing justice. So if somebody has a specific question, or if I feel that this class needs an entire follow-up class on feminism and Judaism, I'm happy to do so. It would just throw us a little bit you know, further, but that's fine. If that is needed, then let me know. Um, 
But on Shabbat, we're told that we move into more of the feminine energy, okay? The feminine energy is not just the, the, the you know, working, but it's out of, it comes out of the accomplishing mold, mold, uh, mode and it moves us into the experiential mode. And the goal is to experience the now without going anywhere at all. It's a celebration of our essence and of our relationship with the connector, with our creator and that connection and that relationship that we're celebrating. The idea of Shabbat, I think what I, what I, okay. The idea of Shabbat is I am defining myself for 25 hours by what I am and not by what I do. I'm going to repeat that. On Shabbat, for 25 hours, if we're plugged in correctly, we are defining ourselves by what and who I am and not by what I do, okay? Because how many times are we walking around with this very beautiful um, like layer over us that just can put out there everything that we do? And that's who we have become. We've become the things that we do. Um, has anybody ever done this exercise? I, I know I've done it with a bunch of women, but I don't know if anyone has done it with me, but you sit with someone and you start asking, all right, who are you? And they answer and you say, okay, but who are you? And they answer again and you say, but who are you? Anyways, this can go on for like, it can really get very, very intense. You have to give a new answer every single time. What I have found every single time of doing this experiment is that when we start talking about who we are, we immediately go into what we do, okay? Try it within your own minds right now. If I were to say, who are you? You would first say your name, and then you would start to define yourself by all the different things that you do, okay? And essentially, what, you're, what the exercise is trying to get you to do is dig so deep that sometimes ladies start to cry after a few minutes, and it, start, it starts to become painful because it starts to strip away everything that's there covering them with all the different things that they do, and it's like, no, 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 but who are you? Who are you, right? During this time of year, we actually say this most beautiful verse from Psalms. It said every day from the day of Elul all the way till the end of Sukkot. And there's one beautiful line inside of this, inside of this prayer. And that line says, I got one thing, one thing that I ask of you, God. You're like, one thing? Like, why do I just have one thing that I have to ask of God? I got my list, right? One thing, and you know what it says? The verse continues, and it says, Shifti beves Hashem kol chayai. God, really, if you strip me down and you keep asking me, who am I, 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 who am I? Achas sha'alti, there's one thing there, and that is that I want to dwell in your house for the rest of my life. All my life, that's all I want. I just want to be in the game. I want to be in your house, right? So we think, like, it's the same idea. Like, who are you? It's a question, and we all need to know who we are. We all need to really understand who we are. And Shabbat is the day that encourages us to really think about who am I at my core and to celebrate who we are at our core. Some people, unfortunately, might feel a little bit of shame with who they are, or suddenly they're not doing enough and they're not enough, right? I'm not enough. Well, who says you're not enough? We started this class by talking about vayipach ba'apav. 
right? God blew into you. He has deemed you worthy. He has put you in this world, right? Is that not enough? So that's a beautiful, beautiful lesson from this chapter that we see. And it's such an amazing day. Well, however you do Shabbat, however you do it, and we've really been encouraging people to just step it up one little notch, whatever that means. But whatever it is, try to recognize that the day shouldn't just come and go without you thinking about really like who are you at your core, right? Human being. Who have I become? Who am I becoming? Who am I? Having nothing to do necessarily with all the things that I do. Okay, any comments or thoughts on that before I move on? Okay. So then after that, I just want to, again, I just noted down here that we just want to never, ever forget, and this is such an appropriate time of year. It, could, it should be your mantra every single morning, especially now as we are headed, we're in now the 10-day period. The 10-day period heading into Yom Kippur, right? This very, very, very special time of year. And we just want to remember that one of the things we want to answer when somebody says, who are you? Every single one of us should be able to say, I am a piece of God. That's who I am. I'm a spark of godliness, right? And I may have done X, Y, and Z, and I may have done X, Y, and Z, and I may have messed up, and I did mess up, right? But we can never really mess up a soul. You can, you can get sidetracked and you can, we can make mistakes, but the soul is still pure. It's still divine. It's still divine. And we should never, ever be despondent. And um, we have to really remember that so many of us spend our entire lives looking, what's my purpose here? Why was I placed in this world? What, what is my calling, right? So you don't need to look so far to know your calling. You start right there by knowing, wait a second. If God blew into me and I'm here, my heart is beating, that's where my calling starts. I am divine. What does that connection look like? How do I take it to the next level? Okay. <clears throat> now, the next thing. God, we already touched upon this, but the idea is that we are here in this world. It's a, it, we are here in this world, the goal of this world, to guard it and to work for it. We have to recognize there is a responsibility. This, by the way, was said before we're talking about any sins of mankind, okay? We're gonna see next chapter that as soon as Adam, Adam sins, there is a consequence that comes along to what man's behavior now has to look like and how he has to respond to that. But in this garden, we're told, you have to, you have to guard it, you have to do, you have to have responsibility. And so this is a lesson for us about just thinking about what our goal is in this world. Again, going back to the idea of God placed us into that garden so that nothing should be taken for granted. It was something that we have to appreciate what we have and to not have any sense of entitlement and also to recognize that along with all these amazing things that I'm saying that God has breathed into us and we have this connection to the divine and all this amazingness we are here to do, right? Now you're going to say, Devorah, you just gave us a whole spiel on the being, right? And how it, it shouldn't be so connected to the doing, okay? So here's where the concept of always balance, okay? This is why God created the world with Elohim, strict justice, 
and mercy, rachamim, balance, balance, balance. If we just sit back all day in our chair and say, all right, I'm sitting in the house of God and it's so lovely and I'm feeling my spark of godliness within me and we sit back, I'm sorry to blow it to you. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're wasting your life, okay? So it is a, there is a constant juggle of the two. Do not define who you are by the things that you do, but also don't sit and not do, okay? So the idea of la'avda that God put us in this garden to guard it and to keep it and to be a part of that picture is to remind us you are in this world, you have a sense of responsibility. And that sense of responsibility starts with number one, you recognizing that you're a Jew, you are an ambassador for the Jewish people, you better recognize the power that you have, right? And the responsibility that comes along with that. Okay. Now, somebody mentioned before, Jean, I think it was you, you said something about procreation, right? What was this idea? As soon as Chava is created, so here we go now with a little bit more of the feminism piece. Chava is created. And Adam, now they're going to get Chava, uh, God is going to give this woman now a name. Now, if you know anything about the Hebrew words, you'll know that the word chai means alive, okay, life. Chaya is the, is the name that we give to somebody. A lot of times when somebody is um, very, very sick and they want, the, the rabbis want to suggest adding a name to, the, to their, a name to their already existing name to help them, a lot of times the name chaya is added. Or Chaya is just a beautiful standalone name, but it means life, okay? My mother's name is actually Chaya. Uh, it's actually Heidi Feig's Hebrew name also, Chaya. My mother's name is Chaya, and my husband's grandmother's name was Chaya. So when my daughter was born, we couldn't name her Daniela Chaya because we don't name after a living person. It's not our custom. So we wanted to give the name, but we didn't want to give Chaya because that's my mother's name. So we named my daughter Daniela Chava. So clearly something between the name of Chaya and Chava is connected. But why did God make her Chava and not Chaya? Okay. Because Chava, he took that little Yud, if, if I had a board here, so I don't have a board. Uh, if you take the little Yud from the name Chaya, it has a little Yud. And if you make it into a V sound, a Vav, you pull the Yud down. It becomes a longer little thing, okay? And what it goes from is it goes from this idea of life to the force of life, the creator of life, the enabler of life. This is bigger than life itself. This is the one that's infusing life into it all. And this was the name that God gave to the first woman, Chava, the creator of life, not just in the sense that you're now going to carry the children and you will give birth to them. No, no, it's more than that idea of just giving birth and populating the world with children. It's that you're the creator of life itself right? And we all know that in order to create life, yes, we need a man, but the woman is the one that takes it and turns it into something and continues the building, okay? It continues. Please, God, for future generations. And yes, one of the mitzvot, which we're going to see, is procreation, is having children, right? We believe that having 
children and ma makes this world very beautiful and helps the world come to more of the reason that it was created for. Again, it goes back to the idea of we have a responsibility. We are not here to just sit back, okay? So we think about that role of woman and we think about, okay, that was the name that, that man, that, that God gave to her. And this was the role that she was going to play. She was going to now become the creator of life. You know, woman's role in, in Judaism, ultimately, when we, for, when we look at what, what went on, we see that originally when man and women were created, it was equal. Man and women were created equal. Then throughout all of the different things that have happened throughout the world, all the different generations, we moved further and further and further away from man and woman having equality, okay? One of the biggest signs that will be coming towards the end of days, towards the Mashiach, is that we're going to get to that place once again where men and women become equal, okay? All of the things that have pushed for women's equal rights, this is a sign that we are in Ikvisad Mashiach. We are in these final steps. We are in these final days, okay? Because the way God intended, exactly, back to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yes, may her soul soar, right? The, everything that God had originally made was supposed to be for man and woman to be created as equal. And then the world happened. Adam and Chava sinned and then went the downward, right? But ultimately our goal is to try to get back to that place. And the closer we can get there, the, ultimately when, when the end of days will come, we will be back to that original state. What exactly that's gonna look like? I can't tell you, but it's going to be something that men and women are going to once again be equals, okay? So it's an amazing, amazing thing. And I just wanted to also just throw in there just the last minute that I think a lot of times people get thrown off by the wording. The word in Hebrew, we see, I read to you before, God created for him, Azar Kenegdo, a helpmate, okay? People don't like that language, but they're missing the boat. They're missing the boat. What is a helper? The helper is the enabler. The helper is not supposed to be the little, you know, you, you think about somebody, maybe you'll think of like the maid, you know? Well, she's my helper, you know? Wait a second. A true helper is somebody who is enabling you. And that's what we talk about when we talk about the Azer Connecto. Somebody who's going to be empowering you and infusing you, man, right? Because we are going to be that enabler to allow things to happen. We're going to be the source of life, not just Chaya in the sense of life, but Chava in the sense of being the source of it all, okay? So ladies, we have a tremendous role on our shoulders. Um, it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous uh, gift. Hence the fact that every day in the morning, blessings. Sha'asani Kertzono, we've been made with that divine will, we have a very, very special role in Judaism. And if you feel that you really want, if this is not, like if you need so much more background on the idea of feminism in Judaism, so send me an email and then I'll do that next class. Um, it's fine. But if, if everyone feels that they get enough or they have enough, then we'll move on to the next chapter where we introduce the sin and where that went from there, okay? I will now open up for questions. I'm going to stop the recording here and I'm gonna open up for questions.
So, Devorah, if 